Well, good morning. How are we doing? Everybody good? We good? Awesome. Excited uh, for the chance to, um, to open God's Word with y'all this morning. And I was going to say this uh, at the end, but I'll say it at the beginning. Um, hey, thank y'all for the way that you allow our students to, to lead. And, and really, I think the most important thing is thank you for the way that you allow them just to be a part of this faith family so deeply. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not a place where, you know, we kind of put students uh, somewhere else in a separate building or something like that, um, but it's a place where uh, they get to actively be involved in the life of the church. And I think that's huge, thinking about once they graduate and head off, they have a deeper and greater understanding of what it looks like to be a part of a faith family. So thanks for, um, uh, for allowing them to be a part uh, in that way. Well, before we get started, I want to talk about our students real quick, and uh, I need to clarify something that happened a couple weeks ago when our seniors were uh, preaching on Mother's Day and brought the word. Amazing, amazing message, by the way. I'm so proud of them. Um, If you haven't gotten a chance to hear it, I encourage you to go hear it on Mother's Day. But I wanted to clarify something because after that, I had a couple people come up to me, and they said, um, wow, Troy, like, thank you so much for, like, working with the students and, and helping them put that message together. And uh, confession, like I wanted to take the credit, I, I really did, uh, and the compliments. Um, but I had to kind of stop, and I just want to make sure, I want to brag on uh, our seniors, those who taught a couple weeks ago, but I just wanted to make sure you understood that I gave them the scripture that Craig gave me. Okay, so I was just doing what the pastor told me. And I then gave them uh, maybe a phrase that they would, that were each going to take. Y'all, they sat for the next couple weeks. They formed this message. They heard from the Lord, and it was completely them. What you heard was not uh, Troy's interpretation and said, hey, y'all should speak this. This was like what they received from God. And so I just wanted to make sure that y'all fully understood that and how amazing our students are. Honestly, I couldn't even go any further in this message in Romans until I clarified that our seniors, um, it was completely God through them and in them. And I'll also uh, compliment their small group leaders real quick, uh, Esther, Andre, Leslie Hillman, and David Newton for just their investment um, in those seniors. So um, we'll start there. Maybe once you hear this message, you'll realize, wow, Troy didn't have a hand in that. Um, but uh, hey, we're going to continue in Romans uh, 8 this morning. Super excited uh, just to get to um, study this passage with you. But uh, Romans 8 is this culmination of, Craig might have said this, but this culmination of this beautiful and amazing gospel presentation that Paul brings to the church in Rome uh, in Romans 1, chapter 1 through 8, right? So he goes through the law, he goes through the abolishment of the law, he goes through Abraham, he talks about faith, he talks about sin, and then in Romans 8, we finish up this gospel presentation, and we love Romans 8, right? Romans 8 is like, you hear a lot of, oh, that's my favorite chapter of scripture, because Romans 8 is this culmination of this gospel presentation. And I think that this is really, uh, this is really interesting at the end of Romans 8. One of the things we love about it is Paul says, he uses, he uses these words in Romans 8, 37. He says, overwhelming victory is ours. So he moves through the gospel presentation. He finishes and he says, overwhelming victory is ours. What is there not to love about that passage and about that feeling? 
And so it's really interesting. When you move to Romans 9, Paul then begins somewhere else. In Romans 9, 3, this is what Paul says. He says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people. My Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. So Paul moves through this gospel presentation. He gets to the end and he says, you know what? If it would mean that my Jewish brothers and sisters would hear this and receive this, understand this gospel like I do right now, I would give up, I would give up my salvation in order that they know. That's what he claims. So there's something amazing, something beautiful about this gospel presentation. Why would he say that? Why would he desire that others know it if it mean that he lose it? And it has to be because he has grasped and received and understood the beauty of what he just spoke to the church in Rome. And he deeply desires that we know the fullness of this gospel, right? And so as we move to the end of Romans 8, we begin to unpack a lot of what this means for us, right? Because, because most of it previously was everything that God's done for us. And now he begins to bring us into this and what is this mean for us. So we're going um, to go after this morning, we're going to go after Romans 8, 28 through 30, just three passages of scripture, but we're really going to get into these passages pretty deeply. I want to ask you a question though real quick, all right, and, um, and y'all feel free to respond uh, however uh, you want, I will welcome that. I want to ask you, how do you handle mystery? Right? How do you handle mystery? Like, does your personality do well with a little bit of mystery? Do you like some mystery in your life? Do you love the unknown, or does it just bring a whole lot of anxiety, right? A whole lot of fear, a whole lot of, okay, I'm going to need more for that. You know how somebody uh, says, hey, listen, I know something that you don't know. Is, is your personality like, you, you need to tell me that right now. Like, I'm, you're going to need to give me a little bit more information because I can't handle this and I won't be able to sleep. There was this uh, show uh, a long time ago, which I actually think that um, there's some, uh, some new episodes that have come out. Do you remember this one, Sonny? This is a show that came out in 1987, Unsolved Mysteries. I will say, I think maybe one of my uh, parents' biggest fails was letting me watch this uh, show um, because it was absolutely terrifying. This show actually gave me so much fear and anxiety because of what it's about. If you don't remember it, I'll give you a quick rundown. So they tell and, and kind of narrate, this is the narrator, um, I'm pretty creepy right there, but um, uh, they tell and narrate these real life stories about disappearances of people or murders or like uh, things that are uns things that they're still trying to figure out. And so just the craziest show, but every episode ended with with this guy saying this, if you have information on this disappearance or this thing that they just told about, please contact us. And I'm gonna tell you right now, um, I lost a lot of sleep uh, because of this show right here and some of the things that happened because it was just terrifying. Like I need some of those answers. I need more than this. We all handle mystery very differently. All right, and our three passages this morning, they, ha they all have this element of mystery, okay? So um, Paul's going to kind of lay some of this out. We probably have a lot of questions about this, but before we move into these three passages, I want to make sure we, we enter in with the correct perspective. Charles Spurgeon says this about the deeper things and the mysteries 
of God. He says, the deeper things shall be left with God. And he says, I think it was Bishop Hall who once said, I thank God that I am not of his counsels, but I am of his court. If I cannot understand, I will not question, for I'm not his counselor, but I will adore and obey, for I am a servant. That's the perspective, that's the approach that we enter into his word this morning. If, if I don't understand the mysteries, then I'm his servant, and I will trust, and I will obey. So, we enter into these passages. Our passages this morning, incredibly interesting. It's, it's honestly a passage, it's a couple passages that we tend to separate and use in different ways. And I'll confess, sometimes, e- even me, have used these passages out of context. Uh, so we want to make sure that we see these three passages connected in the way that Paul intended. My eyes have been opened as I've been studying uh, these couple passages. So let's read, let's start at Romans eight twenty eight and read this passage, all right? And we know this one pretty well. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, right? Let me ask you this. When have you heard that verse spoken? Maybe somebody's spoken that to you, or maybe you've said that to somebody. Does anybody want to answer that? When have you heard that verse spoken? What's that? Many times. Okay. My guess is we've heard this passage of Scripture spoken as an encouragement to someone who is in a very dark place or going through something really difficult, right? Maybe we've said that. I've said that to somebody before. Hey, listen, listen, all things are going to work together for good. All things, like what you're going through, it's going to be good. So we hear this passage in moments of encouragement when somebody's trying to, they've lacked words, so they use this passage to soothe something that's very difficult. And now let's go to verse 29. It says this, For those God foreknew, my guess is they don't attach this verse to that verse, but for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. When have you heard this passage spoken? Probably not in that same context, all right? For me, uh, I remember this one very well. In college, I had a roommate who was preparing to be a lawyer, and he would get in arguments with people all the time. And um, him and this other roommate got in the argument, predestination, free will. And they went after it for like so long. And I remember this passage coming up constantly going, golly, like it's just being used in this time of division and this argument and these challenging topics. And so these two passages are so incredibly different. When, when separated, they're used for two, in two very different ways, but I, I bet we've never heard them together. My bet is we've never studied them together, which is how they were meant to be understood. So the passages that we have before us today are confirmation of the joy that we have in Christ. They are not meant to comfort present sufferings or bring division. They're meant for something totally different. So I want to read all three of our passages this morning, and then we'll get into these verse by verse. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. 
Tim Keller defines this passage in this way, and we're going to kind of break it down like this. He says, we see the heart of relentless joy because of these three things, these three passages. And your joy will be strong to the degree at which you grasp these. And these are the three things. Verse 28, our bad things turn out for good. Verse 29, our good things can never be lost. And verse 30, the best things are yet to come. All right, so kind of got this up here. Take a picture of it, study it a little bit later. But this is just the breakdown of how we're going to study these passages. So let's start here. Our bad things turn out for good. Our bad things turn out for good. We, we love this passage. We've probably quoted this passage maybe to someone before. This passage, the literal translation here is to those loving him, God works together all things for good. That's the literal translation. And, and a lot of times this can be a blessing box verse. Do you know what that is? That's one of those verses we, we pull out kind of separately and we speak over someone. This can be a blessing box verse. It can be one that somebody pulls out if they're going, man, listen, you know what? I didn't marry the, I didn't marry the guy that I wanted to, but you know what? God's going to work all things for good. There's somebody better out there, right? We tend to use this passage like this, or you know what? That job fell through, but there's something better that's coming. We take this passage and we use it to look at in this present life, things are going to get better. But that's just not what Paul intended. That, that's just not the promise. There's two implications in this passage. The first one is this, that all things happen to Christians. All right, a lot of times we want to think, if we're living the Christian life, if we're following him, then things are going to go well, things are going to go my way, they're going to go the way that we desire them to go. But if you look in verse 35, Paul said this, can anything separate us from God's love? Does he mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or we're hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Now, when you look at this passage, this is very clear that all things still apply to us. If Paul is saying, can anything separate us from the love of God? Well, here's a list of things that cannot. It means that we continue, we will continue to have the possibility that those would happen to us as believers. And then the second implication here, the promise is, though bad things happen, they work for good. That's the promise. Though bad things happen, they work for good. And I want to make something clear this morning as we look at this passage. It doesn't say that bad is really good, right? It, it doesn't say that, uh, that you're, you as a, as a human being are seeing uh, bad as bad, but God sees the bad as good. That's just, not, that's just not the truth here. It doesn't say that bad is really good. In, the, in, uh, in the, the book of James, he says, consider it joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many times, right? We know that passage uh, pretty well. Consider it joy when you face trials of many times. It doesn't mean that we need to it doesn't mean that we need to change our mornings so that we are joyful when we go through difficult circumstances. In John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus is standing before the tomb of Lazarus. And you know what he's doing? He's weeping. He's weeping for his brother. Now, Jesus is about to go in and he's about to bring Lazarus back to life. Lazarus is about to walk out of the tomb. And Jesus knew that. All right, he knew that that was going to happen. He knew that he was going to call on the power of God from heaven, and Lazarus was going to walk out of the tomb. Jesus knew that, but yet 
before he still stands at the tomb and he weeps. He's, He's sad. Why? Because the thing that happened to Lazarus is still bad. It doesn't mean that the bad should be good. There's something, there's something more at play here. Um, my parents went through something that no parent ever wants to, uh, ever wants to experience. And they lost, a, they lost a son at age four, all right? No parent ever wants to experience that. Some of y'all know my parents and may have told the story. Something that no parent wants to experience. And, and as now as a parent, right, when I was growing up, I kind of had the thought like, God, that would be, that would be, that'd be really hard, really hard. They always told me that I was, uh, you know, the good that came out of losing a son because they then had me and my brother. Um, but I can't imagine, as a parent now, I can't imagine that you ever really see the fullness of good this side of heaven when something like that happens. Would you agree? Where is the good in that? Where is the good in that? There's no good in that situation that, that, that I can see. So when my mom brings it up through holidays, things like that, it's, it's brought up through tears. Why? Because it still hurts. It's still bad. That thing hasn't yet turned for good. Maybe, there's some, maybe you can see semblances of good in it, but it still hurts. It's still painful. It's still bad. We, we cannot use this passage as a things are going to get better passage because that just may not be true. God never promised that this side of heaven. This is what he does promise though. 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 4:16 through 17 says this. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. This is the turning point of this passage, right? We take that one part of this passage and we use it, but there's something deeper at play here that we have to see in verse 29. The joy of this promise comes that the culmination of all things in our life will be good, and what that looks like comes in 29. So in 29, we see our good things can never be lost. So let's go to this passage that connects verse 28 and 29. And it says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The word for here connects these two passages. That's a connecting word. It means they shouldn't be separated. This is continuing the thought of all things work together for good. And this word new that you see here in other translations, you see foreknew or this foreknowledge. Everything that I read about this and other places in scripture, it's used not as like this no sense about uh, for God knew his people, that he knew things about him. You know, he knew the fact of, you know, are they going to accept him or not? This is way deeper than that. This, This foreknew is this intimate, loving knowledge that he knew you intimately, and he knew your decision to follow him, right? It's, it's this intimate love foreknew knew that he's talking about here. And then Paul introduces this word predestined, not to cause confusion or division. It's actually to comfort and encourage. This passage should actually do what 28, what we use 28 for uh, a lot of times. He, he uses this to comfort and encourage so this word for predestined is perizo, and it means to mark out, to appoint or choose, 
or to determine beforehand. The Lord determined the destiny of every person who will believe in him, and that is to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he, that's what he appointed, and that's what he chose. He chose those who would choose him to conform to the image of his son. That was his desire. The word predestined tells us it's fixed, right? If you love him, if you love him, then conformity is certain. If you love him and you're following after him, then conformity to his son is certain. It will happen as you follow him. Everything that happens in your life is molding you, contouring you into the image of his son, which is his plan. You know, I, I think I realize what scares us about this word, like predestined and chosen. I think I realize uh, the thing that, that makes us nervous about this is, is probably an example to take it back to uh, maybe younger days, right? And I don't know if this, was, if this was y'all, but back in the days when you were younger and you were playing sports, you remember what happens here if you're, let's say you're going to play kickball or something like that, and immediately the two best uh, players, the two best kids are picked. It's like, okay, y'all can't be on the same team, so y'all are on separate teams, and y'all are then going to choose the teams, all right? And I don't know how this played out for y'all or how this made you feel. It didn't make me feel good, all right? You have your two captains that are choosing teams, and uh, Terry, you probably never had to go through with this in basketball because you probably first pick every time, but for me, I know I was just standing there like sweating, uh, like, please pick me. S- somebody pick me for their team. I just like, I don't know, you know what? I don't care which team. I just want to be on a team, right? Don't leave me standing there at the end. And, and, and I wonder if we look at God, God choosing in this way where we're going, I, I don't know. Did, did, he, did he choose me? Am I, am I predestined, right? So I, I wonder if we look at it this way. And, and while we do this, we forget these other passages of scripture that come alongside this. It says this uh, in Romans 10, 9. We know this one. If you openly declare, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says this. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. See, choosing doesn't mean a whole lot if it's not reciprocated, right? I love what, um, listen, if you, were, you may have been hoping that I would give you an answer to this whole predestination free will thing, but... Um, it just may not happen this morning. Cecilia saw me this week in a coffee shop, and I had six commentaries uh, spread across this coffee shop table. And, um, and this is what I came up with, this uh, quote from Spurgeon. He says this, Some have said man does as he likes, and others have said God does as he pleases. In one sense, they're both true, but there's no man who has brains or understanding enough to show where they meet. So when verse 28 and 29 are connected... We see that, I want you to kind of catch these, these passages together. We see that for those loving God, he works together all things for good so that they will be like Christ and elevate the person of Christ. That's so important. So that they will be like Christ and elevate the person 
of Christ. That's the connection, 28 and 29. And then 30, we see this, that the the best things are yet to come. This is verse 30. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them glory. And this is the promise from 28 for those who love them. Do you remember, you remember that phrase, for those who love him? All things work together for good for those who love him. This is God's promise to us as his people who love him. I want to show you this to just kind of lay out some of these words so that maybe you have a better understanding. Take a picture and you can think about this later because these are some pretty lofty concepts. When you see these words, honestly, we could probably do a five-week study on these uh, five words, just kind of digging into a little bit deeper what these mean. But, but for time purposes, uh, we'll go here. God foreknew, which means he set, God set his love on us. Foreknew is that God set his love on us. And then he predestined, which means that God planned a glorious destination for us. He predestined that. He chose that destination, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That's our destination. And then he called. God draws us through the power of the Spirit, right? Tell our students a lot of time, we go to camp and things like that, and we have a speaker who then opens up an opportunity for them to accept and receive Christ. But the reality is, it's not the power of that speaker that draws the student or the the person or the leader It's not the power of the speaker. It is the Spirit of God in them that draws them to say, wow, I recognize who I am and I recognize who I need. And then we're justified. We're made right. God announces us blameless through his Son. And then this is the best things are yet to come. We're glorified. He glorifies us. God grants ultimate glory to his children. Now, real quick, let's keep this up here. I want you to see something when we walk through the progression of these. Will you just notice something with me real quick? This is all God's work. This is God's work, all right? God sets, and God planned, and God draws, and God announces, and God grants glory to us. This is his work. And do you know what verse 31 says? And I won't, whoever's um, preaching next week, I'll try not to steal too much of this. But um, do you know what verse 31 says? It's another passage of scripture that we tend to take out and use. Verse 31 says this, What then shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Right, that progression, God's work in us. What then shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can be against us? (laughs) That's the response to the work that God has done in us. That is how Paul responds to the work done in us, and it's how he calls us to respond as well. Um, I'm going to finish uh, with this quote. I think this is just a beautiful way to to just kind of exit. Again, another Spurgeon quote. Obviously, I was uh, really connecting with him uh, this week, but... um, He says this, now, brethren, your word I say and send you home. Keep your model before you. You see what you are to come to, therefore set Christ before your eyes always. 
You see what you are predestined to be. Christ-likeness, that's what we talk about here at Sanctuary a lot. Aim at it, and aim at it every day. God worketh, and he worketh in you not to sleep, but to will and to do according to his own good pleasure. Brethren, grieve at your failures. When you see anything in yourself that is not Christ-like, mourn over it, for it must be put away. It is so much dross that must be consumed, you cannot keep it, for God's predestination will not let you retain anything about you which is not according to the image of Christ. Cry, Lord, melt me, pour me out like wax, and set thy seal upon me until the image of Christ be clearly there. Above all, commune much with Christ. Communion is the fountain of conformity. Live with Christ, and you will soon grow like Christ. Let's pray. Yes, Father, thank you that you have, you have called us. You work all things together for good, but the reason is so that we will become more like you. We will look like you. We will be an example of you for those around us. So God, help us to do that, to commune with you as we begin to conform into the image of your son, Jesus. Father, help us to understand these passages on a deeper level. God, I thank you that, I'm, that I am not your counsel. I'm not the one who's telling you how these passages should be interpreted or what these passages should be like, Father. Help me to sit, to, to, to understand on a deeper level, but Father, also to say yes, your will, because God, the work that you have done and are doing in us is beautiful and help us to see that. God, thank you for uh, just the chance to come together and open your word. Thank you for what it says. Thank you for the way that it, um, thank you for the, the saving power that it, that it has for us, God. Um, God, help us to worship your son the way that he should be worshiped because of this. And, and we say, God, if you are for us, who can be against us? Help us to cry that out when we see the things you've done. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.